0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also brought to you by Policypack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have my great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. CNBC has reported this week that Microsoft is set to acquire Nuance Communications in a deal worth $16 billion up front, but really $19 billion if you include debt. This will equate to a deal of $56 per share, which is a nice 23% on top of the share price at the time of the announcement. The Nuance acquisition represents Microsoft's largest acquisition since it bought LinkedIn for more than $26 billion in 2016. This report suggests they will focus on the healthcare market with this acquisition, which makes sense since it is the most popular dictation software for clinical workers. Nuance reported $7 million in net income on about $346 million in revenue in the fourth quarter of 2020, with revenue declining by 4% on an annualized basis. Nuance was founded in 1992 and has 7,100 employees. Not covered in the article is the fact that Nuance suffered a pretty severe outage due to a cyber gang attack in 2018, which I know rocked confidence in at least one customer and I'm sure others too. As it was a cloud service, the product became pretty unusable due to their dictation dictionary being inaccessible at the time. It was down for quite some time too. I'd be really interested to see them tap their Dragon 1 product into Cortana for a general all-around dictation product across all Windows 10 devices. That could be pretty cool. It was announced this week that Dell are going to spin off VMware into an independent company. ZDNet reports Dell views the spin-off as a way to give each company more strategic flexibility and improve capital structure efficiencies while also maintaining VMware's credit rating and improving its own. Dell plans to use the VMware proceeds, estimated to come in between $9.3 billion and $9.7 billion to pay down its own debt. Of course, VMware was bought by EMC in 2004 and EMC was bought by Dell in 2016. Dell has been exploring a potential spin-off of VMware since last year and said previously that it would wait until September 2021 before formalizing a corporate separation. At the close of Q4 this year, VMware will distribute a special cash dividend of $11.5 billion to $12 billion to all VMware shareholders, including Dell Technologies. Dell is basing its estimated proceeds on its current 80.6% ownership in VMware. So this isn't completely out of the blue, I actually reported on this on the podcast last year. This story is really just confirmation that it is going ahead. ZDNet have reported that Microsoft has released a 64-bit version of the OneDrive file sync into public preview. Microsoft's Ankita Kirti said, the 64-bit version is the right choice if you plan to use large files, if you have a lot of files, and if you have a computer that's running 64-bit versions of Windows. In an interesting tidbit of information, you can only currently use a 64-bit of the client on macOS, whereas until now, you could only actually get a 32-bit on Windows. Microsoft notes that ARM 64 devices should stick with the 32-bit version of OneDrive. BleepingComputer.com has reported that some in the community have seen that Windows 10 updates KB 51330 and 51337 have caused DNS resolution issues. With admins seeing that the issues went away once the updates had been uninstalled. The report goes on to suggest that one common thread in some cases is that Dentex dental practice management software was being used on the machines. A longstanding support recommendation for customers of that product was to reduce network lag by disabling multi-case name resolution on Windows workstations. And since installing the updates, they've been unable to access shared folders due to resolution issues. BleepingComputer.com has contacted microsoft but have yet to hear back on this issue so this could be a developing story hopefully it is only for those customers of that software who opted to disable llmnr but if you encounter issues you may want to check to see if you have multi-case name resolution disabled too the Register has reported that 1Password has acquired Secret Hub who have made a new service called Secrets Automation generally available. This suggests 1Password now won't just focus on password management and protection in a user context, but also help with protection for machine-to-machine communication. The Register report states that in 2019, researchers at North Carolina State University scanned code publicly committed to GitHub and found that not only is secret leakage pervasive, affecting over 100,000 repositories, but that thousands of new unique secrets are leaked every day. They also state that in June 2020, security researcher Craig Hayes deliberately leaked server credentials in a GitHub repository and observed an unauthorized login just 34 minutes later. Pretty crazy. With this product, users will still generate the tokens themselves for their secrets, but these can then be stored in 1Password. It'll be interesting to see how popular this becomes and if competitors like LastPass, for example, follow suit. Microsoft just announced some updates for Microsoft Teams on Windows Virtual Desktop, and it includes improved video quality performance on calls and two x two mode, reduced CPU utilization by five to 10% by using hardware offload of video processing, pretty significant. Older machines can now use XVP and hardware decoding to display more incoming video streams smoothly. They've replaced software H.264 encoder with Open OpenH264, which increases video quality of outgoing cameras and more. Just there's general performance improvements for the use of Microsoft Teams on Windows Virtual Desktop, so check that out. Now a few quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. The Record.media has reported a new exploit has been published online for Chrome and Edge, which leverages the vulnerability in the V8 JavaScript engine that I reported previously on the podcast. Now this vulnerability has already been patched a while ago, so if you haven't updated your Chrome or Edge browser in a while... Get it updated. MSIX App Attach Azure Portal integration is now generally available. I reported when it was available in public preview. It's kind of cool because one big gaping hole in terms of features for Windows Virtual Desktop is an application delivery story. And MSIX App Attach could at least be part of the application delivery story for WVD going forward. So it's an exciting development. Thanks to Steve Noel and Callan Dillon for this next one. Who report that if you are using AppSense or Vanti, Environment Manager Plus FSLogix, and you're experiencing issues with Environment Manager user policies and personalizations not applying, you may need to add local app data slash AppSense slash Environment Manager to your redirections.xml. For more information on this, check out this week's episode's reference links which you'll find on fivebytespodcast.com for episode 172 in the reference links column. Thanks to David Teig for pointing out this next one. He highlighted that the antivirus exclusions list for FSLogix was updated on February 26th of this year. If you've implemented FSLogix before that date, it's worth revisiting your exclusion list again to make sure it's all right. And Tim Mangan has released a new product called TM Edit X, which is a package editor for MSIX that supports package support framework injection. And Tim has a video on his site, which is tmurgent.com. That's a little bit of a teaser or glimpse into what the product can do. I personally got to try it out for myself. It's really exciting stuff. I don't know if you've checked out my blog recently, I think I promoted it a few episodes ago on the podcast, Uh, I had a blog called Life After App V and I talked about my difficulties trying to convert my apps to MSIX and just the low rate of success that I had. Well, a lot of those issues like file type associations being incorrect, um, the incorrect shortcuts being mapped within the MSIX package, those are all things that could be fixed with the package support framework but I still consider it a failure because I'm not willing to go in and manually remediate these apps. Well, one quick win would be using a tool like TM Edit X to automatically apply some of these fixes and improve the application compatibility for MSIX. So thanks very much to Tim. He's doing awesome work and making MSIX a lot more digestible for all of us. And now for the first time in a long time, Here's a hot job. I saw that HTG UK posted a role for a digital marketing manager this week. They say that their mission is people first technology and they use the latest cloud technologies to help their clients do their best work. And in this role, you would be helping connect with new clients, explain what they do, and engage prospects across multiple digital touch points, including websites, email and social media you will produce thought leadership content such as blog articles own the social media events and PR activities build a data-driven approach to continuous improvement and optimization manage marketing agency CRM and marketing automation tools and members of the team and also support the sales team with collaterals such as case studies white papers product sheets and website pages They're looking for people who have relevant B2B digital marketing experience, natural curiosity and a genuine interest in business technology and marketing, excellent written and verbal communication skills, including presentation skills, social media skills, and the ability to build online communities, and more. They say bonus points for familiarity with virtual desktops, cloud computing, and or Microsoft modern workplace technologies, formal marketing or business qualifications, HubSpot experience and certifications, analytical skills and qualifications, and a few other nice-to-haves included in there too. For location, they say that they're a cloud-based business and are working remotely for the foreseeable future. However, their preference is that you should live within commuting distance of their offices in Newcastle. Salary on offer is between 30,000 to 40,000 pounds. Comes with a company pension and private medical insurance. There's bonus scheme, annual pay reviews based on performance up to 5%, 20 days holiday. And it's a really exciting company and a great opportunity. So if this fits you, it's definitely worth checking out. And now a weekly webinar. So unfortunately, I missed the opportunity to promote this before it happened, I only realized it late this week that it was taking place, but MVP Days, which I've had the pleasure of speaking at before, took place this week with some really great speakers including the likes of uh, Jeremy Moskowitz and Trevor Tai and more. One great thing about the event is the sessions are recorded and made freely available on YouTube afterwards, so check out MVPdays.com for some really, really great sessions. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. This week I saw Chrissy Lemaire had a pretty interesting thread on Twitter going through her home office setup around her AV. So it's what camera she uses, what microphone she uses, and just general information around her setup. And just going off of the pictures she shared the video quality is really excellent, and that's something, I don't know, I'm pretty interested in. I've kind of been phoning it in. I'm just using a old Microsoft LifeCam, I think it is, for my web camera, and it's just not very good. So being pretty committed to remote work for the foreseeable future, it's something I'd like to invest in, and I figure other people might be interested in seeing what a really good setup looks like and what the components are. This week on Twitter, I shared a little tip for hiding all of the items on your desktop. So if you're someone who tends to save a lot of documents and create a lot of shortcuts on your desktop, and maybe you need to do screen recordings, or maybe you're going to share your screen and you don't want people to see all the files on your desktop, there's actually an option to just right-click on the desktop and hide all the icons. And it turns out When I shared it on Twitter a lot of people actually didn't know that ability existed so maybe you don't know either and if you don't I'll share that tip this week on how to do that you'll see it on the YouTube edition of this week's episode and you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com for episode 172 under the YouTube column or you can see a picture in this week's reference links The awesome Guy Leach shared a new blog post on scriptrunner.com, this time on the topic of troubleshooting Citrix virtual apps and desktops using PowerShell. So you might use some other third-party tools when you're troubleshooting issues in your Citrix environment, or you may rely on like Studio and some visual tools. But Guy goes through some examples and some PowerShell commandlets that he uses when trying to troubleshoot in a Citrix environment, so it's pretty interesting to see it from a very programmatic approach. Finally, to toot my own horn a little bit, I published a blog post on using Numescent cloud paging for delivering applications to Citrix virtual apps and desktops. I go into a little bit on how the product integrates with Citrix, some of the benefits of using it for delivering apps in Citrix, and also Some interesting ways to integrate with other products like Citrix Workspace Environment Management, too. I think, funny enough, right now the options for application delivery in end user computing are probably fewer than even just two or three years ago. It seems like some vendors and products have kind of just fallen by the wayside. But the need for dynamic application delivery and quick turnaround of packaging and delivering apps to your end users has probably become even more important than in the past. And particularly that dynamic application delivery aspect with people relying on virtual desktops are possibly working off Think clients, launching published applications, or maybe even BYOD using their own devices in their own home to launch applications. And for all that to work, you need to be able to deliver applications in a flexible way and have them delivered real time, preferably rather than having a lot of different images to avoid application conflicts. And when you've got applications installed into images, updating those images and maintaining a lot of images is a pain in the butt. So to me, application delivery is more important and the dynamic aspect is more important than it's ever been. And in my opinion, the best product for application delivery in enterprise is Numeson Cloud Paging because it's got a really, really high rate of compatibility. So if you've used something like AppV in the past and you maybe got 60 to 80% of your applications to work with it, with Cloud Paging, you're going to be getting more like 98 to 99% of apps. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.